everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass, and I'm a tabletop game designer in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And my name's Willie Epps. I'm a tabletop game designer in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Adam, what's up? Just feeling some caffeine vibes uh, today. I'm kind of going the opposite energy spectrum as the last episode. Um, nice. Yeah, last episode, uh, we went uh, returned to form in that we <laughs> shot the shit for an hour and it felt great yeah um but we yeah we're we're gonna try and do this weekly now because a lot of people expressed interest in our podcast <laughs> not sure why but here we are we yeah we kind of were on a weekly and then we went back to bi-weekly and then we went to like when we were feeling it and now we're kind of existing in the middle somewhere the intent that's the, and that's the best you can expect yeah uh you if i remember are a one to two coffee kind of person yeah i usually only have one cup a day um i had one cup at like 11 o'clock this morning and immediately upon finishing received a text from my friend that i get brunch with every tuesday who said hey do you want to meet up for coffee before we eat and i go yeah and so yeah um, what could go wrong? I had a matcha at, at the, at the coffee shop. Um, it's not my usual move, but I think that's compound. I, you know how there are like people, tea people are like the caffeine and tea is healthier in some way. I don't know. than coffee. I am not sure that there is caffeine in tea in any sort of tea. <laughs> uh, it's definitely never <laughs> felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's like uh seb got extra caffeine coke from the store and Whoa. i was like does so some what is going <laughs> on here um yeah i on the other hand am a kind of gulliver's travel situation where i have to be pinned down by hundreds of little guys <laughs> and those guys are caffeine for for it to have effect on me yeah i mostly plateaued but uh, today I'm kind of feeling some energy, at least right now. Um, I did eat a lot of potatoes at lunch, so that feels mm. like a time bomb. Yeah, that, yep, that's going to hit in about half an hour, so <laughs> let's get fucking started. <laughs> uh, I've actually been making a lot of hash browns recently. That's my new potato project, nice. is to figure out how to make perfect hash browns. From a potato? Not like frozen. Yeah, I like. No, not frozen. Um, I just like grating a potato. Yeah, I figured out how to grate stuff based on this one guy who does cooking on YouTube, who says it uses the least amount of muscle groups to grate. (laughs) So now I do this grating technique. Min max. Where I just brace the cheese grater against my body. And it has like a pocket where, or a little container where all the contents go. And uh, I pull it toward me to grate and push away to reload and to grate again. Like rowing a boat? And that's a little tip for everybody. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's more like imagine you are, um, I'm kind of just uh, punching my arm forward. Just imagine a little punch. <laughs> A little bitty punch. Uh, That's the kind of awesome shit that we talk about here on the Brain Trust podcast. Uh, it's like in a game when uh, you brought a topic. This, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, I f- I feel like the second one is more brain trusty, but the first is also very interesting. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll leave this in. I was going to be like, maybe we'll let you decide. Uh, this is pre-taped. You decide. <laughs> this is not a live feed. <laughs> we could do this live. Would you listen to this live at like Metatopia or whatever? I bet. DM us. Yeah, I bet if we did a Twitch, the 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 usuals would uh, would come through. And it would be entertaining. Yeah. I mean, we're just spontaneously. There is little like content editing that happens on this right. podcast. Um, mostly, if 
there's a particularly interesting noise that one of us makes <laughs> or any silence while we're thinking about shit. Uh, yeah, the the live episode would just be the same thing, but we get really easily distracted. <laughs> yeah, More than normal, a, I guess. As a feature, yeah. Um, because we just have less to look at. Like, I'm basically just looking at waveforms is usually how it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you had two topics. So, and I, I'm down to talk about both of them. You know, we, we have an hour. Let's use it. The first is I want to talk about what characters and players do in sandbox games when the game says here you go you can do anything go anywhere effectively like how do you as a game designer uh set that up and foster something that's still (gasps) something that's still interesting um and compelling to players to want to engage with and not just kind of meander Uh, The other idea is I'm working on this card game called Candy Teeth, and I think it's going to be really interesting and cool. It's a story game, but uh, the cards have quite a bit of information on each one, Uh, specifically like each edge of the card has a word or symbol on it that you would then use to make sense of. So like... You know I love that. Yeah. Like if one of the edges says... (laughs) tiger and it's like okay what how is this person like do they literally have a tiger is there like a pet type is it a calvin and Hobbes kind of situation is there like a friend of theirs who is somehow like embodies like a tiger attitude like what do you how do you use this simple prompt in an interpretive way to generate aspects of your fiction yeah, let's let's start talking about that one because you and I love shit like that. That kind yeah. of Mensa selects game design <laughs> commonality that like is uh you know, how can we provide the least uh runway for you to get going? Like do you know what I mean? Like as little support as possible for you to be as expansively creative as possible and like finding that sweet spot. Yeah, I think that's a really neat thing that games can do. And I think it's a thing that I try to foster in a lot of my games is like obviously the act of designing the game to me is a creative process, especially when it gets into setting and art and that kind of stuff. But I want the players to feel like they're taking part in the creative process instead of um, potentially just kind of following my guidelines, you know? Um, right. So when I say like, okay, now we, we talked about this a few times. We had that game we pitched where it's like almost like an I spy, like items within your reach are aspects of your character. And so yeah, this red ink vial on my desk that I paint with, like, what does that mean for my character? Like, how can I manifest this in the fiction? And then, uh, we that's had- kind of the Billy Bob Thornton vial of blood around your neck. <laughs> Whose blood is it? It's Angelina Jolie's blood. Do you think he's? Did you know about it? that? I kind of remember when <laughs> you mentioned it. I think that. I think he definitely still has it. <laughs> I'm not sure if he wears it. Um, that's really f- fucked up. Just not conceptually, it's fine, I guess. But just like the, I, I don't know. You know when you go through a breakup and you just throw so much stuff away. Uh, right, I feel like yeah, the vial of like, blood might be at the top of the list in terms of things that are toxic for you to keep. It's both toxic from an emotional sense to hang on to that vial of blood if it's a particularly rough breakup. But also you require some hazmat disposal materials. <laughs> you can't just put it in you the trash. a special little bag. Yeah, you have to call special collections to come get your <laughs> Billy Bob blood. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, games that ask the player or the players to interpret or or like assign meaning to things that might otherwise not have any as part of play have always been really fascinating to me. I think we've talked about this before and I've had the term like high information availability. Like what I like to do is try and reach the critical point where you have exactly 
enough to get going mm-hmm. or even um so like guide is a great example of this where you're working with two cards with six symbols on them put together three symbols on each and you use whatever combination of symbols to create whatever scene as challenged by the amount of like there's a dice and from one to six that represents how many symbols to include is your goal um and that also is combined with the basically everything is read from this dice so if it has a three you need three symbols and three characters and you need to incorporate three people into the scene and that's a challenge if you get two out of three you get points for it whatever the currency is in that game it's been a minute um and if you get three out of three you get uh extra bonus um so both is a challenge like this role-playing challenge concept that we both love playing towards and I actually have you in my head pretty often when I am making, especially for the uh, more sandboxy, challenge role-playing parts of Torque. Like, how do I make this so Adam has a lot at their fingertips <laughs> to, to both, like, mold and to be challenged by, to work around? Because right. I think those constraints are as important as the prompts that you're giving. I think that this conceptually is the sweet spot for me between someone saying like okay what happens next and it could be anything ever and that's too broad or um like okay uh you turn into the alley and someone is robbing you at knife point what is the color of the knife handle like this maybe feels like too specific and and like i'm really boxed into this robbery kind of situation um the in between is like okay as you as you turn uh there's a globe or or like what is that like what am i do i draw the globe card i'm like okay shit (laughs) yeah it gives me yeah and yeah that 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 thrill that is a challenge but also the kind of handhold that is a the game's presence in encouraging me to make something of my own volition. Yeah. And it's about also measuring how the player had been interacting with the game before and whether or not this opportunity for them to provide, you know, whatever fiction control is not jarring. So I think you have, when it's the what do you do and you haven't been kind of engaging with this dialogue with the players um either as a game designer or as a gm often you'll see that the the literal like what do you do right there can be this moment of just the floor dropping out and also as you say i also i have a problem with prompts that are too labyrinthine and don't like a prompt should provide as much circumstance as it does question so, like, when you're asking, like, you know, you're in an alley at knife point, what color is the knife? The player, that really doesn't matter what they say. Right. Um, they could say green or they could say silver, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> it's this, uh, it gets back to this example of GMing and just kind of trust that uh, Dogs in the Vineyard has where Vincent baker writes one of these examples of gming is that like you come up on this field uh there's no one there but there is a gang of outlaws hidden that you can't see who plan to ambush you what do you do and so it gives you enough it trusts you to you know view the story in more than one way Mm -hmm. you know it's this thing that um Brandon Leon Gambetta talked about on TikTok, which is like metagaming is basically your most powerful tool as a player and as a game designer. Like it is it. That's what the play really is. And yeah, giving just that trick between enough rope and enough slack. Is that the same thing? Yes. There's an amount of rope that is right. And there is a threshold where it's still good, but having it too tight or too loose kind of fucks up the magic trick yeah and measuring that is 
part of the magic alchemy behind game design. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I So with Candy Teeth, uh, the cards have these effectively symbols, whether they're literally a picture or a single word or whatever. There's four on each. There's one on each edge of these rectangle playing cards. But then on the interior of the card, it's like bisected. So there's a more explicit scene prompt on each half. And the player who draws the card gets to choose which prompt to engage with. And those are a little bit more like, you know, a person from your past rears their head. So you still get to Mm -hmm. decide who that is, why they're there, what they're doing, that kind of stuff. But then the symbols become ways to color that in an additional kind of guided way that allows me to retain the themes of the game without telling you to tell a particular story. Nice. That's really cool. And this is a thing we talk about often, too, of just like the choice of words that's in play is game design in like a really important way. Um, the the way that you define your character skills, like how, you know, if a, if it's attack or if it's strength, those could... Yeah, when you say, I find that for me, it's like when I say action versus move versus activity. Yeah, they have, they have gamer baggage, but they also just have like societal baggage. Like an activity is almost inherently something that you do that is not a plight like activities yeah. are hobbies or recreation or you're, you're not visiting something upon someone <laughs> <laughs> um and an action i think is generally the attempt to overcome an obstacle like it is more more strictly strife based um yeah but you could use those words interchangeably in the way that you write and design, but because of that baggage and because of the context that you're creating in your entire game's text, it will affect how players uh, interpret it. And I think we both really like, one, choosing those words extremely deliberately, sometimes to a fault. I think sometimes you and I both like to nitpick those (laughs) Um, campfire is a great example of how deep we went on each thing and like we talked about all these actions you could do with the coin which represents your fictional power in the story some way or another having a coin in a hand versus in front of you versus paying versus taxing versus auctioning like we if we don't do it someone else might i think was our right energy we don't want someone who is newer to games to bring in something that we didn't think about, like what an auction represents that one person wins and another loses instead of what we want it to be, which is everyone is collaborating for this final item. Right. Even kind of the distinction between giving someone a coin and paying a coin is like paying implies kind of the exchange, like you're getting something in return and a giving is more altruistic action um it's important and probably yeah 70 percent of people aren't gonna think about it but that 30 percent is gonna help them somehow and if we're subliminally communicating the game design through the only things that someone might see of this game right but in addition in addition to that there's also just like when we refer to the coin sides as like what did we end up with light and shadow like yeah, those are there. Those terms are there to evoke theme and to keep you on message instead of necessarily to um, foster a particular way of acting. It's just to remind you, like, mm-hmm. hey, we're playing a horror game. Hey, this is supposed to be like spooky stories kind of vibe. So, um, I really like having that kind of stuff present too. Uh, like in ether operations i refer a lot to like the realms as yeah characteristics of the of the 
of the player characters because just using that word has baggage of like exploration and like a large tumultuous kind of area and it's just me reminding you that like as you're in this scene as small as it might be like you are a facet of this really large like encompassing geography and uh yeah i think language both curates how players will treat the tools that you give them but also gives you the opportunity to invisibly um set up a fence line or set up like a kind of like yeah. chalk outline around what you deem to be appropriate cuz they can always go outside of that but to some extent you're trying to curate a really good time within those boundaries <laughs> um so and like to stay on theme as possible yeah. like you kind of build the fence or the you know the knee high fence around which this game is because it doesn't matter what we do someone might do something else with it but it reminds me that in black mass uh the characters don't have like a hurt thing they have a struggle which is just like using their body and it frames that like they're not here for violence but violence might happen to them and this is what you use and that's like where the kind of just where I started thinking of the verbs for the game. Um, you know, this we're talking in particular about games that use prompts, but even going as elementally as stats or what you call individual turns in a round. Yeah. Means stuff here at this point. Yeah. Um, I think too, we focus a lot on it's in, it's interesting. Cause I think so much of the pedantic word ch- choice stuff that we do is in story gaming because I think by virtue of presenting this as like a narrative thing the words that you're using are inherently more important almost like because stories are told with language but trad games are still stories being told with language it's just a little bit the the structure is different Um, so that mentality is still present that game designer vocabulary curation is still really important and how it affects player behavior um is there something we can do with i feel like we've we've tapped that vein a few times and come up with cool things like one time we designed a thing where it was like a three-player game and two players were gms of like purple and orange do you remember this? Yeah, like, yeah. What does that yes. mean? Like a player has to do something purple. Um, it's definitely stuff we've had r- cool successes and great like brain blasts with. But hmm. I don't know if we have anything currently. I mean, because it's a thing that I use so frequently <laughs> that... Uh, it's funny, like our last thing that we made on the podcast was... Uh, archives of alexandria oh yeah and that is the op it's like using this but it's the complete absence of this like there is one word you can't use yeah you can use everything other than this i think Um, the importance of the language choice is a constant theme and i think that was like a cool accidentally subversive way of approaching the thing that we like to approach so often and it worked really well in that similar way of like the the words that you choose to describe this are important, but that is what the actual gameplay is. So less less on us as designers. Yeah, honestly, I think we I don't know we came we saw yeah we've we, got games about this you know yeah. <laughs> like we, you if you uh, are interested in pursuing the concept further, a guide to casting phantoms in the revolution. Is a fantastic uh, execution of this. This is really how Necronautilus setting building works, yeah. which I was very inspired by uh, the game Downfall, which um, has you kind of using single words to define aspects of your culture before you watch it crumble. And that to me was really interesting of just like saying that we live in a 
like tower culture and then we as players go around trying to flesh that out uh questlandia and noirlandia do this really well yeah. too yeah um you got any you got any examples you want to shout um i would have said like guide for sure is just like the full extension of this campfire is True. explicitly authored prompts so you the goal here is to make someone's voice be really present while still mutable and accessible to all the players to do whatever they want accessible in that you can access it um as far as games that i like that do this uh let me think reading tarot <laughs> like <laughs> the the most um i have a game that's kind of uses elements of this it's called drawing dead um or drawing death in uh, lucian khan's hibernation games anthology and it has a bunch of you basically you are the employee of death who goes through all of these bounced cases of death and uh, investigates them and tries to figure out how these people avoided death and to render judgment upon them because death is super busy reaping the souls of the world. And so you're, you're kind of the fixer. And in this game, you are dealing cards to phantom hands that represent these, this cabal that made a pact to avoid death in some way. And you're slowly revealing and learning their cards through play and uh, establishing what each card means. But you have an incomplete ledger because the person before you uh, suddenly quit. So part of the game is discovering you know, why this job opening happened, what the larger conspiracy is happening here, and putting together the old ledger with new stuff that you learned. So instead of having a prompt for every single card, there are like six prompts that are just kind of spread through the book that you apply to cards, and it shows you how this person had read cards and it inspires you to make your own. So that's kind of a deconstruction of this like high information shit. Yeah. It's purposefully missing pieces and it's messy and it makes you make strong choices, but shows you how specific and strange some of the choices were. Um, yeah, I definitely want to do more with that idea and maybe, maybe freaking next year or some Necronautilus mm. shit, but, um, Hey, that's that's what I'm into there. I'm trying to think of games that I like that aren't just like inter interpreting paintings. Like I think I mostly get this from every other piece of my life and not <laughs> game design. Right? That like I like so much just that interpretive bit, the generative stuff from like different musical backgrounds. Yeah. Um like chance art is i love it um jerry's map is a great example i mean this is just a huge topic that i don't know i mean yeah, yeah i i think even what we were talking about before recording of like videodrome having these implications that exist outside of the story that's being told like the director the filmmaker deliberately sprinkles these interesting things without diving deeply into them and it's not out of negligence it's to get you thinking about those things and like that's yeah. awesome and that's cool it, it makes you press select and see that you've only seen a certain part of the map and there's much more that is at the corners and it also i think enhances the story that is being told because it assigns an importance to it you know, like, look at all these things that are interesting. Wouldn't you like to know all of them? Let's really focus on this one. And I'm like, okay, let's focus on this one. Like, I'm gonna, it must be compelling because you're showing me all this cool shit. And this is the one you're choosing. <laughs> so I trust you. And I'm, I'm kind of so glad that David Cronenberg didn't have ridiculous budgets and movie deals that there was only one video drum movie and there's only one The Fly. Yeah. And like... How shitty those would have been if there were As if franchises. that was spread out over three movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the MCU. My name is the New Flesh, and I'm here to show you how to uh, 
exercise. <laughs> Step away from the screen. Jeff Jeff Goldblum is like at the uh, press conference. He's like, I am the fly. <laughs> and all his skin comes off. He's a gross little bug man. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we could just you know spend half an hour on the David Cronenberg cinematic universe. <laughs> I mean, we could do it. No, we should absolutely not engage with it any further. Let's take a quick break. Yeah, we'll talk about sandboxes. <laughs> I heard crickets and that that was yeah, nice. I was like I don't know what it is. I had the feeling that you were you were in Nightland or something and I was like There's just oh, a lot nice. of grasshoppers around here recently. I saw a massive one on my car this week, like the size of my index finger. That's fucked up. I did not appreciate it. That's a threat. (laughs) It was like right on the top of my car, right next to like the driver's side door. And I didn't notice till I opened the door. And my reaction was just to slam the door with my foot and take a few steps back so it didn't jump towards me. Oh my god. I'm getting chills. It's like when you see a small... Um, praying mantis and you're like nice that's really cute <laughs> and you see a praying mantis of any other size and you're like get the fuck away from you're me. not you're supposed to like, be on this planet yeah you are brack from space ghost <laughs> like please get the fuck out of here we have a fruit flies right now yeah and something i've realized is that flies in a movie yes i like this <laughs> flies in my bathroom no. I will fight every single Why one of them. Why do you like it? I, I just don't know what to do. Um, I've like sprayed water at them, and Seb says they like water, so I'm helping them. It's like fun for them. Have you made the them. trap? I have a, I have a fruit fly <sighs> trap out that's, that's slaying. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. We have a... So I've made a fruit fly trap and it's not working. I don't want to say I don't know how to do it, so I'm not like you know. Obviously, this trap doesn't work. I have no fucking idea. I don't have a little fly mind, my so t- I don't know what they my like. My tactic is a little bit of dish soap, some apple cider vinegar, and then fill it up with water and so it's foamy. And then I put that either near the sink or near the trash can wherever they seem to be more active. So they go in for this the sweet vinegar. <laughs> And then they uh, get caught in the soap bubbles, and they the, something okay, with the, the density, they all drown. Okay, this is like uh, really close to what Seb did, but Seb has a little bit more kind of a jigsaw approach. <laughs> it's to the this saran one. wrap with the holes punched in it. Yes, it is. Yeah, so you've got a cup, and it has saran wrap with holes punched on the top, and it's filled with apple cider vinegar. And they were explaining to this me very calmly as I was thinking, like, you're a trained practice killer. This is <laughs> it reminds me of my days when I executed a campaign against stink bugs in Maryland. I don't know if you have stink. We bugs do. Yeah. Michigan. And it was a it was a big problem here a couple of years ago. I became basically a world renowned war criminal against stink bugs. <laughs> basically developing new kill techniques and uh, i was tried at the hague and it, it's all in the on wikipedia <laughs> yopes versus stink bug um but yeah so you the fly lands on the saran wrap and crawls through the hole and gets in the apples apple cider vinegar because it likes that kind of stuff um the fly i like likes playing piano and having sex with women <laughs> and, it is Jeff Goldblum. And uh, they they get their fill. They get their beaks wet. Their proboscis is moist. And then they try and fly out. But the ceiling, like to our ancestors, Adam, is simply a sheet with holes poked through. And they can't fly <laughs> out. And so they're stuck. This is... It's not working. 
Uh, we've had him out for a couple days, so maybe we'll try your kind of chemical method. I recommend it. Uh, the, the the dish soap is the key, I think, because I've done the saran wrap thing, and um, I think they just find a way. Life uh, uh, finds Life a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> cr- but to mix our bug. metaphors here. Uh, um, let's talk about some. So you got the Blu-ray. Uh, I got the Videodrome Criterion Collection. Is it good? I'm sure. I <laughs> I left it on the table. I I I know that I wouldn't be able to finish the show if I engaged with it. Oh, that's smart. But now it's a reward for once we, know we do finish the show. Look at my new Blu-ray. I might watch it again today. I I was gonna do some drawing after this, and I I usually will throw movies on uh, while I illustration and that seems like a good I, it, I feel like it won't count towards my goal of watching 150 movies this year uh, to rewatch a movie I saw last week I feel like maybe I shouldn't count that <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny um, watching the Green Knight because we could only rent it for three days because we're not going to theaters right and I was like oh we have it for three days does that mean I could probably watch it every day <laughs> after after we watch it of those three days or is it over and did not even check once i was done yeah, the first time did not even check my <laughs> ability to watch the green knight again um that reminds me i was just going to this um say that there's this movie called mandibles that's been on my list about a giant fly um ooh, it's supposed to be like a comedy like not a not a horror movie um it's from the director of rubber the movie about a car tire that kills people i haven't seen rubber i really want to watch it i think i would like it the same director made Deerskin, which i watched this weekend and i just had such a good time it was so fun um nice but i was just thinking i wonder if we could like if i rented a movie if i could stream it in our discord and like have a brain trust movie night is that a thing? Oh, that would be fun. I know I am a part of Trevor Henderson's Discord, and he has figured out a way to do this cool. um, by having like a private screening room kind of thing. But I think you have to have the files on your the files oh, have to be yeah. in the computer. Simple. <laughs> yeah, the files are in the computer, and then you do something like that. But um, I would love that. That would be super fun. Yeah, I'll look into that. Um. Anyway, let's get back into some game. We're gaming. I want to talk a little bit about sandbox games and what you do. What the hell did you do? Um, what the freaking <laughs> hell? Because here's a game in obvious. I think Dungeons and Dragons is the most obvious one. I would actually say that Dungeons and Dragons maybe didn't start off as a sandbox and kind of became one out of player habit. Would you agree? Because <laughs> I think Thank it you. was a tactical thing and a dungeon delving <laughs> game, but it became a sandbox game through play. It's hard to know um, if D&D is a sandbox game. Yeah. I think that be- because both styles, if the both, you know, the railroad, the player driven versus GM driven, mm-hmm. which is like the, you know, it's kind of the politically correct way to talk about (laughs) um that it depends so much and what different play cultures have because DD is just a cipher for different groups to have different experiences with like you know in the 80s i don't know how many people were trying to play critical role style (laughs) high uh, production games versus fucking the chick tracks kind of <laughs> demon summoning shit. Um, but I, yeah, it really does lend itself to open-ended stuff. Like you're given a toolkit. Each character is a toolkit and you apply that toolkit to situations. So, right. And I think, yeah, some of the, the other kind of tent poles, um, thinking of like cyberpunk 2020, um, you do runs, you know, like the pretense is yeah. you're a runner doing runs. Uh, or uh, maybe that's Netrunner. I don't fucking 
whatever. Um, like a lot of, or, or Blades in the Dark, like the pretenses you're doing heists, right? There's generally a, here's the world that you're inhabiting. You can be a kind of any kind of character, but its play is focused around a particular thing. Then you have yeah. games like Forbidden Lands or Mutant Year Zero or uh, Cyber Metal 2012 or Troika <laughs> or a lot of these sort of more modern, like new wave OSR things. That's just like, this world is really cool. There's so much shit to do in it. And here's your character. And it's sort of expecting and in some ways subtly encouraging a particular direction of play but not always and that's interesting to me conceptually but i also am always fearful of like getting a book and understanding the rules of it and then going okay well what am i supposed to do with this what's next yeah how does this interact with me hanging out with my friends right um i've I've been thinking about this a ton because ultimately Torque is a sandbox game, and I have been just tightening all of the procedures and tools for the sandbox elements. And that is a different story because it's a GM-less sandbox game. So how do I give everyone the tools and the ability to make up enough content to have it be a perpetual motion machine? Like, how do I make one person pulling a Newton ball affect someone else's scene and slap their Newton ball, and they can grab two and shoot it right back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Um, I So in Cyber Metal, my approach to this has been to have individual goals kind of assigned or chosen in some way of saying, if you're a vermin character, like you need to collect items for your horde and... Nice. That's giving you a goal that the other players don't necessarily need to even know about, but it will drive story. Because um, if you need help, they're going to go with you. But they have their own shit that they need to do too. So, like, maybe, you know, it's a sc- scratch my back and I'll scratch yours kind of situation. Or maybe it's a <laughs> if we both are going to this location why don't we go together and then like obviously something fucked up might happen to our collective along the way that then impedes our individual goals and i think that's interesting to me metaphorically too because i think that's just kind of like life you know it's like life did you know like well um (laughs) but it's like you get situations and then you come up with plans to solve the situations right and sometimes the situations are I want to throw a party tonight and sometimes the situations are this motherfucker is going to steal all the water in the whole city <laughs> and so there's yeah. like an interesting play of scale too because like this motherfucker might steal all the water and we had a party scheduled tonight like now you have an infinite ways of approaching multiple problems that sort of feed one another in interesting ways too hopefully yeah uh unknown armies third edition does an interesting thing because it assumes you're a cabal of weirdos doing stuff in a town or city or community that has different scales of impact and they're all measured by this one tool that I forget what they call it, but it's a thermometer that you fill up. And every time you do something that advances that goal, you add a little bit to the thermometer. And when you're ready to tackle the goal, I think the one they use in the book is like getting someone who you like elected mayor. When you do enough things that fills that thermometer up, you do one roll, which is like a project roll, and see if it's successful, rolling under the amount that you filled it up. So let's say it's 100, you filled it up to 88, you try and roll D100 under that 88, which is, it's a flattening of all, everything in this game. So it could make becoming a god be the same kind of game impact as electing a mayor. 
what's the difference really <laughs> between being a god and being the mayor um but it is something like that adds a you can do anything sticker to the game that is pretty interesting and it sounds like that that's what cyber um cyber metal kind of the spirit of it yeah i think having that level of significance be explicit might be valuable in the design of saying like your gang are bottom feeders like you're level one so all you can really engage like this fucker who steals all the water they might still do that but you're not even like on the level to approach them so this in that same like mayoral versus god kind of level like you can't if you haven't even elected the mayor you're probably not even going to touch the gods you know like you kind of got to stay in your lane to <laughs> yeah. some extent if you're yeah and you can kind of create this self-propulsive narrative that's like okay to get to the place where i can save the city getting water i first have to figure out what's going on or maybe solve this problem locally and then like build up and build up and every time i succeed I raise like a kind of narrative rank in this community where I'm more important and more people recognize me. And the closer I get to being able to save, get this water supply back or stop, you know, whatever kind of tank girl shit is going on here. um, I can, I'm a bigger target in general. So the stakes are rising with, um, your ability to solve the larger issues in the scenario, which is really, really cool. I like that. I think, too, I, I do like that, especially as, like, a long-term play focus. But I also might just say, like, you as a collective can decide to downgrade your status voluntarily at any point. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, maybe it's not your goal to get a mayor elected maybe you really don't give a shit and you just want to throw ripping parties and like that should I mean, that be itself is a too. pretty it's an interesting like you can pay your rank to better your own life or community in some way and then you go back to that level you know it's like fucking you know, there's that person in small towns when someone's like, oh, that's the mayor. And it's just someone who is just really gregarious and like a character in the town. Yeah. Like loves everybody. <laughs> um, unofficial mayor. And that's someone who probably did something and just kind of removed themselves off of the pressure map and just became a local fixture. So like it's, it seems like a cool bankable thing. Yeah, I like that. Um because I think I've, I think that plays well with the faction system that exists already. Like basically treating the player character group as a faction, which was already in play. Um, but I didn't quite know how to dictate that. Like, just because you and the military are both factions doesn't mean you're equals or peers. Right. Uh, and I think having a maybe a numerical value or like a power level assigned to factions because that also gives the the npc factions a quality that an additional quality that helps you understand them as players like seeing some a faction is level five or something like you you know more information very quickly and you know they're you can more obviously tell the connections they have with anything um it is a cyberpunk game and it is like cool low tech stuff so what if the faction map was just um a stylized motherboard and the larger chips are this big these big aspects like the devil and the military and you can see their connections to everything but you are just this little i don't know anything about motherboards yeah, but either. a little silvery part yeah and you can just visually tell that like oh i'm in this kind of group with a street gang and these group of lawyers who are irritating and this like local punk rock band and you know the higher that i get i can see the path that i would take to get closer to this level of clout that the military has 
or I can just divest my own points into the other people in my zone and kind of bring all of us up together. Yeah, I dig that. Um, yeah, that's cool. Because I also think... Remember playing Fallout and just being like seeing a Deathclaw for the first time? And you're like, yeah. oh, I fought this mosquito already, so like, what's this motherfucker? And then it just wipes you immediately and there's zero chance. I think there's something... It puts its claw through your body. It's it's valuable information to learn though like yeah the moment feels shocking but i really like it and then by the end of the game you're just wiping death claws like it doesn't really matter because at first in my head i was like i only want factions to be interacting with factions on the same level but i do kind of like the gamifying that it's interesting because like sandbox you can do anything and you should do anything but sometimes the game is like you can do this uh <laughs> it's not smart but and yeah, it's the kind of like here be dragons shit right then you you learn your lesson it changes the way you act it gives you some sort of like long-term interest or even just a short-term obstacle and both of those feel valuable so I like the idea that factions have this interplay regardless of status or size or whatever stature quality um, and how that can also curate your play experience to be like, you know, are, are you then from that experience, do you say like, I'm not going anywhere near the death clause or do you go, I'm going to boost myself up because I'm going to show the death claw who's boss it's just gonna take me a while this i've been drinking green tea all day this is the only <laughs> thing i can think about i'm gonna fuck up this death claw yeah it's really the faction system you've outlined is a great solution to like how do i make sandbox play make sense and not a big cognitive load yeah. for a gm um like you're not the player saying, like, I want to go do this thing doesn't force the GM to scramble for it. It just neatly fits into the larger themes of the game that you, you the designer, has set up and given the GM and the players of the players the tools to interact with that. I think it's compelling, too, to say, like, this game is about all the citizens of Pentagram City. And citizen generally, I feel like, has an individualistic connotation. So, because you as player characters effectively are individuals with your own shit to deal with, but you, by virtue of playing a game and like making it kind of cohesive and intuitive, um, work together. So here are these like faction level or community level shared things to engage with while you're simultaneously engaging with your individual pursuits, and. I feel like that makes it feel really lived in and air quotes realistic. Like, right. Like if you are, if you need to find, uh, acid tabs and I have a buddy that I went to school with, who's a drug dealer, like I can make that connection for you, but we're going to have to go out into the city to get there. And that presents its own challenges because the city is a city. And, uh, you otherwise on your individual quest to find acid tabs probably would have a really rough time. You can't just go up to somebody on the sidewalk and ask them. So um, I think that makes, I think that fosters the kind of gameplay that I'm after, which is yeah, community focused individuality. If that is not a paradox that, yeah, no, I totally, totally know what you mean. It's really reminding me of a movie I watched recently called Stray Dog by Akira Kurosawa. And the whole concept of the movie is that there's this new cop. Um, it, it's the 50s, by the way. There's this new cop and his gun gets stolen. And he is in huge fucking trouble. And he has to go all over searching every lead he can find to get his gun back because he's terrified of the violence 
that this gun could be res- ultimately he would be responsible for in his mind and it leads him to basically suss and discover the gun running rings that existed in Japan and in his journey and find the people everyone who the gun touched hands with it's like this object driven story that really shows a system filled with people living and doing shit and uh it was a really captivating movie in general but it's yeah i like that that reminds me of the the system that you're outlining here and it might be worth checking out yeah that sounds great um i'm not going to write when we hang up but i'm seeing some of the cogs turning and that feels good that's great we turn cogs here on the Brain Trust <laughs> podcast, and why don't you turn our cogs a l- little bit? <laughs> that sounds <laughs> a little leery, doesn't it? Uh, it's not a euphemism, we uh, swear. It's just a uh... bunch of clockheads over here at the Brain Trust podcast. Do you wear a watch? I'm trying to remember your wrist right now. Are you a watch person? Yeah, I have like a $10 watch. plastic black watch. I like that. That's great. I would say you either didn't wear a watch or you wore a slightly fancy watch. So that's, <laughs> that's cool. Um, I'm not a smartwatch person and it's like sunglasses. Like I've proven to myself now by having a cheap watch for years that I could have had a nice watch, <laughs> but it worked out. Okay. Like I saved the money, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're disproving the boot theory that you need to buy expensive boots to, offset the cost of buying cheap boots and then fucking up um great well if people want to fund your next watch or sunglasses uh, where can they find you uh pentagram.city is the url for cyber metal 2012 yes. uh coming soon ish still i still haven't cemented i'm still afraid of committing to the launch time <gasps> oh no that's another one huh fuck um oh no don't worry don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um I haven't committed yet to a, a concrete launch date because I just want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. Is that what the phrase is? Yeah. I want to make sure I have all of Let's... my vermin in the horde. And uh, But I'm very excited, and there's so much cool stuff going on with that project. Um, additional books and merch, and I'm, I'm really going all out. So pentagram.city for Cyber Metal 2012 and worldchamp.io for everything else including uh candy teeth which i think is going to come out uh, this month um and uh, i'm on twitter at wc gameco where i will be reminding you of the former things hell yeah and just like as a reminder to everybody making a game right now is really hard oh too just true. like getting a game printed and like just even the supply chain shit is so fucked. So you pre-save that cyber metal link, pentagram.city, and hit it the fuck up when it goes live. And not before it goes live, you know? <laughs> um, you can I'm Will. I've been your co-host. It's been a really great time. Um, you can find me at will.com. I am online at will underscore J O B S T. Um, I am locking down a printer for the Black Mass reprint that will come with a playmat, uh, and it will have the cards and everything like that. So check out for the pre-order link. That will be coming soon. Uh, Torque is great. Um, yeah, there'll be an update on Kickstarter if you just want to see any of the game design stuff. But uh, this is a good, good-ass game. And finally, uh, we just get campfire stuff all the time now because we <laughs> scheduled our production schedule to give us the most dopamine over the longest amount of it's, time it's working um yeah <laughs> so we just got the coins they look really good someone on twitter asked if they could buy the coins standalone you can't but you can pre-order it at braintrust.rocks so go ahead and grab it uh it's going to be the horror game of the decade honestly um it's really good it and is. Uh, what else? Uh, there's a Discord. It's popping off on the daily. It's a cool place. Uh, it there'll be a link in the show notes. Check it out. 
But if that's all, brain emoji, handshake emoji. <laughs>